Hello and welcome to another episode of the Psychosocial Distancing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Chadbourne, and with me as always is Thomas Brooks. Good evening. So we're going to continue our intercession flex course in uh, Psychosocial at the Cinema. This week we're getting into Kinsey. Yes, and what a ride that movie was. Pun intended? <laughs> Pun very much intended. The discomfort in this movie I, I isn't necessarily as much there as Dangerous Method, because if you don't know what you're getting into with Kinsey, uh, you, you shouldn't be too shocked at some of the stuff in the movie. It's, you know, he's a sex researcher. Uh, it's very different than if you're going into a movie with Jung and Freud and you, you know, get to see some interesting content. Yes. I will say, whereas my criticism of Dangerous Method was that they over-sensationalized the romantic relationships, this one seems very spot on. Just in my background research for this movie and like double checking everything, because there were several scenes in this movie that I was like, no way this happened. And then sure enough, I go through and it's like, oh yeah, no, he was recording movies in his uh, attic. Yep. So, yeah, to, is... to possibly avoid more scandal than <laughs> recording movies in your attic, but it's that, that anonymity aspect, which I, I think we'll, we'll talk about a little bit. But anyway, but, but. Yeah, so Kenzie, uh, Liam Neeson, really good cast. Uh, Tim Curry's in it as sort of a villainous medical professor. There's um, Oliver Platt. I'm a sucker for Oliver Platt. And um, when, whenever he's in a movie, he's the president, mm -hmm. university president, which I, ma I made a note of that uh, Wells, who's, who's noted for probably one of the like greatest examples in the you know, 20th century of um, fighting for academic freedom within a university and and that that you know a lot of like why he's portrayed as, as such an important figure in this movie um, comes from his champion uh, championing his fighting for kinsey's research that's really cool i didn't know that he was notarized for that that yeah he definitely was um as the president of the university at the time you know really fighting for like like look not everyone might agree with this but you know I mean, he, he mentions it towards the end where he's trying to get the board to vote on increased funding that, like, we have a budget surplus, and this budget surplus is partially because of Kinsey's work. You know, and if mm -hmm. you're in university administration and you've got a, even if it's a controversial faculty member, you know, bringing in the tuition money, mm -hmm. you're going to fight for him. I do want to hover over uh, Tim Curry playing the evangelical abstinence teacher. Yeah, that, because okay. that was a role that I did not know that I needed in my life to watch Tim Curry play. It yes. was fantastic. Yeah, his his sort of smug attitude, I think was just perfect casting. Uh, he was able to play it off well and his lecture. I yes. it's, it's one of one of my I've got a handful of notes and Tim Curry lecture is uh i think is something that everyone especially in comparison to the the kinsey lecture that follows uh, was definitely a good um juxtaposition for for what you know the two sides of the debate where you've got this like we need to understand the knowledge 
we need to understand what's going on versus complete disregard for accuracy because i mean as as they say you know they use the line in the movie that what about all this stuff is this okay is this right is this normal well we don't know Mm -hmm. one thing i'm interesting and this kind of um was a very broad theme in this movie that i really appreciated was this idea of like the relationship between religion and science in this movie because I felt like both Tim Curry's character and uh, Liam Neeson's character, Alfred Kinsey, embodied that relationship in very different ways that caused them to be polar opposites of each other. So you had like ham-fisting science into religion when it came to Tim Curry, where like science was the justification for the religion, but with uh, Kinsey, science embodied a religious persona that you know both we could probably argue are a little bit problematic when we approach and do science in a way but i thought that was very interesting that like dynamic relationship between the two binaries that was exhibited in this movie yeah kinsey comes across i think if you were going to find a modern analog for someone who i think approaches the work and the science and very apt that they're both biologists would be someone like richard dawkins Hmm. Is, is I that... kind of got oh I just got um Bill Nye vibes from Kinsey too yeah yeah and I, I guess I guess that that might be a better a more apt comparison because Bill Nye I mean the bow tie and everything <laughs> oh, about yeah him, aesthetically yeah <laughs> aesthetically really helps but but Bill Nye might be a better example because th- there's kind of a you know a bit of a preachy aspect to it but it's not like maliciously Mm-hmm. preachy and that's you know that, that's one of those things that you know love or hate Dawkins you kind of have to agree that he he gets very he's very anti-religion in in that sense and I don't necessarily get that sense from Bill Nye though yeah I can definitely see this you know this this maybe perception of like a preachy scientist mm-hmm. of someone who's like like this is something you know we have to fight you know to to, to think this is kind of the way the truth and the light but it's mm-hmm. the research. Um, right. And that's honestly, like, I appreciate Bill Nye, but I can't watch Bill Nye for that reason. Like, again, it, it like, it, it's, I get a little bit of, uh, like, this movie portrays, I get a little, like, religion PTSD when I listen to Bill Nye a little bit. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. And, and it's kind of tough because, I mean, if you're, if you're doing all the research and you're exposed to what is essentially the truth, you know, of the matter of a lot of these concepts and ideas and you feel really passionate about it and you want to share that and you want to really emphasize that part. Like in order to be kind of effective, you kind of have to be like that. You kind of have, you have to be a good orator. You have to be a good, you know, get out in people's faces about it, which is maybe why, you know, people like Bill Nye, Dawkins and whatnot become, you know, to an extent, popularized because they're not necessarily afraid to get on the pulpit for lack of a you know better analogy mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah yeah and i definitely definitely see that there's a, there's a lot of that in the movie this juxtaposition between his father and this these kind of overly religious uh, undertones and for whatever reason i didn't quite I guess, piece together time periods when I was doing this and not realizing this is all taking place in 
you know, he, he was born in 1984 or 18, not 1884, 1894, something like that. 1894, yeah. And so this is all taking place within the first, you know, 50 years of so we're, we're talking. Mm-hmm. World War II era, like at the very end, they're starting getting in, getting into like the McCarthy era anti-communism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, there was part of me that like, when that happened, it finally clicked. I'm like, oh, like this makes even more sense of like what we're fighting against. Cause there's you know, this huge discrepancy. I mean, we could say we're still having a lot of these conversations today. Mm-hmm. We're having less of them maybe but we're still having some of these conversations today but but you know looking at the influence and looking at the medical you know quote unquote medical literature and and whatnot at the time it's it's really based in part on some observation and some expertise but but also there's this this moral underpinning and then this this heavy religious influence and then that really makes sense of the way that they kind of integrate that throughout the uh throughout the story mm-hmm. yeah no that was something that i really appreciate about kenzie's work is that especially because we kind of briefly talked about you getting interrupted watching this movie during yes. the uh, lecture scene for kenzie when he's like showing the pictures of the penises and vulvas and like all of these poor like 1940s college students are shook they are shook they cannot handle it and like it, even today, though, like, my lectures, when I do human sexuality, like, I don't cushion it. Like, it's very similar to Kinsey's lectures. And so they do get a little shook, but not nearly, like, horrified, like, those poor, like, 1940s students looked. Yeah, I remember uh, in undergrad, we had the, the chair of UNO, uh, their psychology department was, uh, was Bruce King. He wrote one of the core textbooks on human sexuality that's still used around the country today. And uh, his human sexual behavior course was very gloves off. Yes. We're, we're going to get into the, the, you know, gritty realism of all of this. And for the most part, because he would share stories, stories of his deck, you know, years and years teaching this course. Uh, and for the most part, it was, it was, it was a similar vibe that, yeah, there's some like shocking moments, and usually they're they're kind of crafted to be maybe a little more shocking, like when he gets into certain aspects of like pornography and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, there was definitely not uh, not really a moment where, you know, to this level, to where you have, you know, a student like completely losing it, uh, with with the exceptions of apparently there there have been a couple of students who have passed out during the I'm going to show you what childbirth looks like. Oh, see, I don't even do that to my class. Like, I don't show them porn. I don't show them childbirth. Um, I have a body modification lecture that's a little, it's a part of a lecture just over fetishes in general that can get a little, like, I've seen gasps. <laughs> and, yeah. But nothing to that extent. And I definitely don't share stories. <laughs> oh, that's already horrifying enough getting up there and like just saying you know well, he, like, would, he would share right, stories about here, like we're gonna talk how, about this yeah well, he would share do stories now? About, he would share stories about how people in his class reacted so, oh okay that's different yeah, yeah was, no i cannot never, like no. i'm a blank slate up there i'm like here's the information 
let's discuss it. But I'm going to stay as much out of this as possible. <laughs> no, doc, doc, Dr. King was a consummate professional uh, when he was teaching that course, but he did it with a lot of humor and a lot of knowledge behind it. And he would get into some really uncomfortable stuff, but but would kind of temper it with like realism and like, yeah, look, like we're going to go over this if you feel that you might not be able to make it through it, like it's okay if you leave kind kind of kind of behavior because he's he's seen enough students through the course that have um you know and some of the questions that students have asked, which would be very different i mean I, I kind of get the impression that like all of these students because it was a big part of the movie all of these these students and people kept coming to him with these questions like hey, you're experienced like you know this stuff, other people have gotten advice from you. But like in the classroom setting, who's raising their hand? Mm -hmm. There's very little like engagement because I'd imagine there'd be even more stigma. I mean, going to talk to you know the the sex professor in private would be very different than raising your hand in this packed auditorium, two two hundred plus people, uh, and and asking a very sensitive question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'll say like yeah even in class like usually i get pretty benign questions but in private i've had some very interesting conversations <laughs> um they usually wait till after class and then line up because they don't want to like project it and usually when yeah. they project it their questions it ends it ends up being a battle of the sexes for some reason and so it'll just be something like why do men do this or why are women this way and it, you know insert stereotype and like the whole class will light up and get into a battle of the t sexes debate, which I then have to moderate. So like there was a scene in this movie where he's like crying in the bathroom towards the end when he's like engulfed in all of this criticism and he lost his grant and like everything's terrible and he can't save everyone and he can't find all of the answers. And he's like crying because he's like, I've ruined it for everyone. Like I've tried to do something good, but like, now this conversation is closed and I'm just sitting here like, if it weren't for you, we would not be having this class. I would not be doing my research. Like, I don't know if he personally felt those feelings, but in that scene, in that movie, like I had the feels, I was like, no. Well, that, that was a, that was a very powerful scene. And then that combined with his, one of the last interviews in the movie with the woman who had mm -hmm. same sex feelings and where he's like, I'm sorry, things are so bad. And she's like, like no, like your book helped. Mm -hmm. It saved me. That was a, that was a really moving, um, moving part of the movie. And I, I did get that impression. Like that they, that's kind of, they're, they're kind of two other themes that, that I really focused on in this movie besides the kind of science religion juxtaposition, you know, kind of going up against the norms and morality of, of, the mainstream versus you know this this kind of burgeoning research but one of the other things that, that that i did get this this genuine feeling with the character and the way he was written in in the movie that that it was this genuine want to help mm -hmm. that his own past experiences his own insecurities his engagement with these people time and time again like the interviewing the the guy who you know was like beaten up and branded when he was 13 there's that like emotional like moment where we're you know he, he he wants to help he wants to engage it's it's 
it's disturbing and it's it's heartbreaking and you you almost get that that's like a motivating force for the character is is that he wants to complete this life's work because he wants to show at least to some degree like to empower people with knowledge to to give them an understanding that what they're going through isn't rare it's not maladaptive it's not you know they're not the one deviant in the world who's doing it that that this is far more common and these behaviors that are stigmatized are far more common and should be more accepted than they actually are Mm -hmm. and then the the other which i thought was was really interesting but i think it's kind of takes an undertone through some of this is the um uh, at the beginning, he he makes that lecture about the um, the gad the gadfly, the yeah. the, the, the bugs that he, he's doing research on, and and he says that you know what's really interesting what they they allow us to kind of tap into with human nature or or humans or other species in general is is that the only thing that's truly real are variations mm-hmm. that we're all different that we're all unique just like these these flies you know you, you got a million of them that that he ends up cataloging before he moves into sex research and and all of these they're they're unique in some way and so that that helps to kind of spurn i think or at least to build on this idea that you know yeah you're going to see all these little variations you're going to see all these differences you're going to see all of these um you know, kind of idiosyncrasies between person to person and a variety of degrees. You know, everything's a spectrum is kind of a good way to look at it, but that everyone is a little different. We're all, you know, kind of unique in, in these combinations of a number of different things. And, and that was a, a really good kind of underlying message that gets kind of pieced in here and there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very true to uh, Kinsey himself, like in real life. Um, we'll get to this when we get into some controversies because um, he actually butted heads with uh, Abraham Maslow over his research, his method and his method specifically, but um, there's been some reporting that a lot of his variants in his books has been inflated uh, uh, to meet that preachy social change desire that he has and that movement towards diversity and that there was like an overemphasis and an over exacerbation of diversity in his work. Um, that may or may not have actually been present in the data. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I know that there were a couple of cases, because I was reading a little bit into some of the controversies. I know there were a couple of cases where he, especially with the, the one guy with the book, the ledger that they talked to. Yes, I yeah. did some tracking down on this gentleman. And that one of the things... That. Yeah. Um, I, I did like the the engagement and and at least you know, trying to kind of say like like on one hand Kinsey's interested in some of this work but on the other hand like he's very clear like where the line of like consent lies and where acceptable and like th- there are behaviors that like while he's very open mm-hmm. there's a line mm-hmm. that, that you can cross and this guy I mean obviously crosses that line yes um, and then the, the the other thing was that like a uh, part of is like for that guy in general, he's reported as like nine different people in the report. So we don't actually know his name. In the movie, uh, his name is Kenneth Braun. 
Um, but the only thing that I've been able to like solidly track down about this person is in the 1998 reprint of Sexuality of the Human Female. And it's in an introduction by then director of the Kinsey Institute, uh, John Bancroft, who said that uh, I decided to check on the sources of this information and found that without any doubt, all the information reported in tables 31 through 34 came from the carefully documented records of one man from 1917 until the time Kinsey interviewed him in the mid 40s. This man kept notes on a vast array of sexual experiences involving not only children, but adults of both sexes. Kinsey was clearly impressed by the systematic way he kept his records and regarded them as a considerable of considerable scientific interest. Um, and that is with direct relation to the chapters dedicated to pre-adolescent uh, orgasm and the Kinsey report. And so that whole chapter was drawn from this person's ledger. And there are a lot of ethical and research issues with that, <laughs> to say the yes. least. Yes, because he misrepresented the data as coming from several different people, first of all. And second of all, we do, you know, ethically need to report when people are engaging in hyper-legal abusive behaviors. Yeah. I mean, the other, the, the flip side of that is, is that we weren't nearly as uh, fastidious with our ethics. Yeah, and Stanford prison experiment hasn't happened yet. The 1940s, as we were, you know, as we are today. Um, I mean, in fact, the, the APA code of conduct had not been written, and Kinsey also wasn't a psychologist, so. He actually was kind of a psychologist. Well, yes. Yeah, he, his, was, uh, he double majored in psychology and biology as undergrad. And his oh, okay. uh, undergrad thesis was on group dynamics of boys. Oh. Um, and he drew that from his Eagle Scout Boy Scout experience. That's even better. So, yeah. So he was a social psychologist. Pretty much was a social psychologist. Who decided to study gall wasps. Yeah. I mean, I, that was one of those things. So one of the themes that I've brought up, so we kind of see this in high anxiety with some of the neuroticism. Uh, we see this with uh, the um, portrayal of a very kind of sociopathic Zimbardo and a very aloof um, Milgram. Uh, I think it was very evident with Young uh, in, in the last, this, this kind of, again, distant, cold, calculating almost. I, I almost felt with with Kinsey in this movie or this portrayal of Kinsey is that there was kind of a it, it's it's almost as if they didn't know how to portray him. So on one hand, and again, he may have been exactly like this. I I think he comes off as a billion times more human than Jung did in a dangerous mm -hmm. method. Um, he he's definitely you definitely see him as this like you get these kind of glimpses into him breaking away a little bit from his work, like that scene at the end with like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of professing his love but in an indirect way uh, was was really kind of, you know, touching and heartwarming. And then he's like, gotta get back to work. Uh, I didn't know, and it, it felt at times that, 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 that kind of the writing and the direction wasn't quite sure how to portray him as this very kind of hyper empathetic or very openly empathetic, very caring, concerned individual, human person. Mm -hmm. Or this like cold and calculating scientist, mm -hmm. which that kind of that side of him is again this kind of common theme amongst all of these psychologist portrayals in these movies. That there's there's this kind of like 
cold calculating sense to it. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the things, so something that kind of caught me off guard while I was watching this, and I've double checked and I can't find anything about this, but I almost felt like the portrayal of Kinsey was that he was on the autism spectrum or that he was like an idiot savant. And I can't find anything like any diagnoses, any conversations, like nothing about that, which this is the 40s. So obviously, there wouldn't have been. Yeah. Right. Been. But also, like, just watching him, like, thinking about his meticulousness, like his obsessive meticulousness when it came to documenting the sex histories or even documenting his gall wasps and like the, yeah. that homage when they went through in the interview where, uh, you know, the wife is talking about like, oh, our child was born this year. And then it flips over to Kenzie. He's like, I collected half a million gall wasps that year. Yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> I, I wrote that like in my notes. It's like, he's, he's aloof, but likable. It's a very different mm -hmm. character. And then like, right as I wrote that, he proposes and gets turned out. I'm like, oh, now he's a nice guy. He's miserable. Right. And then he kind of goes back to just being, he, he, he's a genuinely... Like, or at least portrayed as a, a fairly, you know, in the grand scheme of things, genuinely kind of, you know, decent person. He cares about the people around him, um, but he's got some... Like rough and gruff toxic masculinity going on. Which again, 1930s, raised in a mm -hmm. very conservative household. It's not necessarily surprising. Um, you know, maybe try to kind of like understand the time and, and the social psych aspects of it but but yeah there, there does seem to be some i, I don't i don't necessarily want to like say because i don't want to diagnose but like right. this this kind of allusion to to him being like maybe on the spectrum or something like mm -hmm. that and again that kind of it just it sits a little off with me because we we have yet another portrayal of a psychologist or a you know this this kind of researcher in these burgeoning fields who's kind of kind of like that it's kind of mm -hmm. a little off kind of a little aloof kind of a little different quirky i mean it kind of it. yeah but like to go back to our like okay. yoon conversation if we want to think about like hard oh. archetypes like it's the Freuds, the Yoons, the Maslow, the, not the Maslows, the Milgrams, the Zimbardos. Like that's, they, right. all of these directors are relying heavily on an archetype. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't. And, and, and again, if you're going to portray anyone, I, I thought his portrayal was very good. Like he, mm -hmm. th no, there was I love Liam Neeson in this. I think with the exception of like, when he goes off and he's like, you're such a hateful woman, and like kind of like storms off and like buries himself back in his work. I was like, that was the only time I was just like, I don't like you. Like, mm -hmm. well, why you gotta be like this? And why other you than- gotta be like this? <laughs> but other than that, like at no point in this movie did, did I feel kind of a, um, I guess like hatred or feeling that, that you know, he was being malicious, which mm -hmm. is kind of what I've felt in all the other movies so far. Yeah, this. like he seems like a genuine nice guy. Yeah. Um, and like, we'll approach this because like all of the other movies we've been watching, um, the sex with the, the sex and relationships with one's undergrads and grads and research assistants. Yeah, it was on my list too. Highly prevalent in this movie. But it was less creepy, I felt, in terms of framing as the other ones. But I think that might be a deficiency of this movie because it's the most extreme 
and it was the least sensationalized. A lot of this, though, there does seem to be some backing to. So it isn't like, you know, like if we're talking about like Spielheim and and Jung, like there, there's maybe some debate as to whether or not it. I mean, it definitely wasn't as. I mean, at least it doesn't seem to be as salacious mm-hmm. as it's portrayed in that movie. Or it doesn't seem. Maybe there's some other aspects of it that that are, are maybe you know overblown. You know, it does seem that like some of this behavior was going on and and was happening, and and they kind of just play mm-hmm. it up as like, well, this is just what it was. This is yeah what we know. Like this, this was actually going on. Like you know, there there were some you know back and forth issues and swapping issues and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's framed better in this movie because it's almost as if it kind of comes out of that mentality that that, that Kinsey's portrayed with. That Kinsey is mm-hmm. portrayed with this mentality that like it's just sex. Like we're not talking about love here. We're we're talking about this kind of biological process that you can detach the two from each other, uh, which which seems to be very kind of apt in his sort of you know, love for Mac, but also like, I mean, there, there's a sex component there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of something that took away from the movie a little bit. Like, I feel like the framing felt better. Like, I didn't feel like he was a creep. But like, when you're making movies and you're addict with your research staff and participants, like, that's like light years away from anything we saw in like the Milgram movie. Yes. And we were made to feel very weird about the Milgram experiments. Yes. And we were made to feel very weird about Spielhein and Yoon, despite that not being, you know, documented historically. But, like, this actually happened and is a huge problem for research ethics. Like, let alone, like, you know, engagements no. with your research undergrads and, like, grad students, but, like, with your participants. Right. Yeah. And you're um, at it. <laughs> and I, I don't know, maybe it's because of the nature of the movie, because cause the kind of the entire focus of the movie and really the entire focus of Kenzie's research was to essentially fight against the kind of restricted normative standards around and I mean there are conversations, uh, the conversation with the the when he's basically begging for money from the, the grocery store guy where he says you know, the grocery store guy's like, I've been married four times. Like, people would call me an offender, a criminal. Um, mm. You know, that there are, like, these basic laws that were in place that were illegal. There's no reason for them to be illegal, that they're, you know, that, that these acts are illegal because of misinformation. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we're not talking about, like, assault. We're talking about what we would consider in 2020 standard behaviors, normal mm-hmm. behaviors for the vast majority of people. And there was this this idea, and that was kind of at least the argument and the rationale that even some of like the outside literature and, and people talking about this would have to say is is like one of the reasons why it's set up is is that are they going to let you do that at Indiana University? Mm-hmm. Um, is that could cause a scandal for the university? They're not going to let mm-hmm. you do that kind of research, and so in order to do it, he had to you know sort of you you have to kind of think outside the box now the ethical issues and you know get get lumped upon that because his his students his assistants his employees are involved in this they're participating in this they are bringing in outsiders and they are also participating in this with the outsiders 
there's mm-hmm. a lot of other stuff going on that blurs the line and it, it obviously shows that it, it does have an effect i mean it, it has an effect on the people who work in his lab and, and, and with his institute who can't blur that you know can't draw that line between work and pleasure whatever it may be mm-hmm. um, that that looks at this kind of you know again that kind of analytical way and like, like kinsey is, is kind of approaching it which i think maybe makes it easier to stomach because this is sort of seen as a like well like how else are we going to do this like we can't we can't actually study this until we're actually observing it and mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think i mean there are likely others you don't really get to a famous point in that until you get into what the 60s and 70s with like masters and johnson yeah no they turn what kinsey does up to like 11 right and and they're doing it in a much more ethical standardized manner so they're 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 working in a lab and, and they're doing mm-hmm. they're kind of doing everything by the book but that's at a point where the book is written right mm-hmm. i think that may be part of it because like just thinking like reading this from like an ethical perspective like if he weren't so likable it might have been easier to like notice the unethics going on you wouldn't need that fight scene towards the end of the movie um yeah. to like remind you like oh this is actually bad this isn't actually this like glamorous research that's going on but with all of our other movies like it was very clear where the ethical breach was right it's 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 there to make you feel uncomfortable in the other movies or at least it's portrayed in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable in this case but also because the characters are portrayed in either a less than likable or less than Mm -hmm. on the up and up we're already suspicious of them. Um, I'm not sure if I've got anything. I mean, I, I had a couple. Like, there were just a couple of good scenes in the movie. I, the movie, I really liked the scene where he he interviews his dad. Um, yes. I thought that was that was really good. It was really powerful. It it kind of explains some of his dad's issues, but also humanizes this person who, like, up until that point of the movie, is is kind of seen as a as the villain, as mm-hmm. the reason that that kinsey wants to do what he wants to do and and why he's you know interested in this and why he's maybe got some issues of his own mm-hmm. and he has this realization as he's interviewing his dad that his dad is the same of as all these other people mm-hmm. who have been kind of put through the ringer because they didn't know what was right or society punished them for doing something that is arguably normal uh or or non deviant in the grand scheme of things and he's like oh he's just like everyone else that i've mm-hmm. interviewed he's in the same boat and and there's that again that that humanization that um that i think worked really well mm-hmm. i think this movie was really good to watch after dangerous method because it kind of shows the transition of the zeitgeist so one of the things that we kind of left with on freud was that Freud represented the sex anxiety of the time very well. So like he was spot on when he was talking about like this repression that the society was going through, especially with all of the creative ways in which people were expressing that repression. Like with the dad in this film talking about the strap that like, you know, the, the chastity device, like if you Google Victorian chastity devices, you will see things scarier than medieval torture devices. 
Yeah, I, um, I, I did make a note that his dad's mention of the most dangerous of inventions ever is the zipper. Right? <laughs> I love like, that whole sermon at the beginning. And, and you know, and Kinsey's doing the beginnings of his work in the 30s or the late 30s to early 40s, which mm-hmm. is Freudian, you know, it's Freud central. It's it's where Freud is is as big as he's ever been or i mean at least as, as big as he was in that time you know he's he's growing this this entire view based on that victorian era heavily religious heavily um you know heavily religiously inspired mm-hmm. view of, of human sexuality and you know as we move into the, the 40s and the 50s there's you know really there's kinsey mm-hmm. And he kind of pushes, like, if you want to think of, like, you know, when we were talking about which of the autos, Otto Gross, the anarchist, yeah. like, Kinsey kind of is the reason, we kind of talked about how Gross's ideas kind of lived out socially longer than Freud has, mm-hmm. because we're no longer, you know, repressive Victorians, unless you're on, like, r slash nofap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I feel like Kinsey is kind of the catalyst to Gross's conception of sexuality and this like anarchist like against the repression of your drives and your desires and so like we got some foundational stuff here and then like Kinsey kicked it off in popular media with his two explosive books quite literally yeah so no it definitely is like like this is very like very much kind of like the zeitgeist shift between the psychoanalytic psychology and kind of the psychology we see today um, with like this era of Kinsey. Um, and at this time too, um, I can't remember, Mas- uh, not Maslow, I keep getting it mixed up. Milgram was doing his experiments at this time too, right? Um, or was the, he in the 60s? 60s, uh, well, 50s, uh, post, post-World War II, so 50s and 60s. Um, okay. Yeah, late 50s, early 60s. So Mil- Milgram still has a little more time to come along well, actually, towards the end of Kinsey, because Kinsey was still doing research into to the late fifties and mm-hmm. I think early sixties when he when he passed away. He passed late fifties, I think fifty eight. Yeah, and so that's kind of the 58. beginning of where Milgram's starting to pop up, and like Milgram and Zimbardo were basically in school. They're mm-hmm. they're doing their training. They're getting getting their feet wet to to start, um, you know, doing their their big bigger studies which isn't until i mean what stanford prison's early 70s and um yeah 73 and then uh obedience is i think 68 yeah remember so they're like reading they're very likely reading all of this kinsey stuff going on in their culture it'd be it'd be hard to believe that a group of psychologists with one of the like biggest selling books of its era not at least it not being on their radar mm-hmm. yeah so like i feel like that's been you know i feel like this is the big like moment when things shift for uh psychology might be with kinsey just overall and in the united states too i mean if we want to talk about psych psychology psychological history in the united states too there's you know someone like kinsey has a much better chance of springboarding because freud's popular but if you were in the United States, you were probably a behaviorist. Right. And so you were more concerned with human behavior, laboratory studies, 
uh, direct collection of data and more like learning processes, mm -hmm. which might even make it more likely for Kinsey to propagate. You know, if Kinsey were in Europe, you would have had a higher dominance of, of maybe cognitive processes. And I mean, it's not mutually exclusive, but mm -hmm. you know, Freud's a lot bigger, um, you know, there than he was here. And, and while there's that influence, uh, that that the field of psychology, you know, maybe arguably is is primed for mm -hmm. someone like Kinsey to to come along and and kind of really like buck the system, and and allow for these things to happen. Because I mean, towards the end, we're starting to see the beginning of like the cognitive revolution, and you know these these big changes that are occurring all at about the same time, kind of the end of of Kinsey's, uh, in, end of mm -hmm. Kinsey's life. And even at the same time, talking about behaviorists, you have like Watson who fell from fame because of his own sex research in the lab with his research assistant. Yep. <laughs> so that's kind of, yeah, no, that's very much in that like shaking and moving and scaring the American public with psychology. And one of the things that even like picking up on this behaviorism, like hard science, like direct observation, that's, that was addressed in the movie a couple times, this idea that you don't have to be specialized in a specific thing to study something else you know what yes. i mean so like yes. even the uh grocery store guy was yeah. like asking about fine art and he's like well i run grocery stores and like i can comment on fine art and kinsey studies insects but he can comment on sexuality so you right. also see this cross-disciplinary-ness that is rampant nowadays yeah, but kind of like the beginnings of that um, happening with Kinsey too, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then I will say that like, even though we do credit, so this is kind of like beyond the scope of Kinsey, um, just in a historical mode, because Kinsey is so much within that behaviorist, like observational um, mode when it comes to sex research. And it's very similar to Masters and Johnson later on um the 70s along with the cognitive revolution and the kind of the postmodern uh integration within science criticized that mode of studying sex for the very reason that kinsey was criticized because he wasn't accounting for psychology and internal processes yeah um because he was a you know entomologist um right. and he's directly i, I believe he's directly directly referenced in uh, Gagnon and Simon's uh, 73 book, uh, Sexual Conduct, which outlines sexual scripts, because the purpose of that book is to move psychology away from this hard observational external behavior mode and start considering things like memory and culture and the relationship between culture and interpersonal relationships and identity and like you know, diversifying our approach and our perspective on human sexuality that we still, you know, moving through. That's still the paradigm we use. So Kinsey's also right. using a paradigm we're not really uh, using anymore. Yeah, and it, it is interesting too, because even, even though Kinsey is, throughout the movie, there is this heightened focus of a lot of that psychology, that a lot of this reason why we have these beliefs are tied to these cultural systems that need to be challenged, these norms that are wrong, or these mm -hmm. norms that that shape essentially a lot of this misinformation, or these terrible books that are written because they're written with this quote unquote high moral standard, even though 
we can get into an argument about that, but that, that mm-hmm. they're, they're written to that level. So they get people to read them. So a newly married couple reads these books and they're just getting this slew of terrible misinformation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, that, that taps into the cultural aspects. I mean, and they do touch upon, you know, this discussion of like love, which kind of at the end, you start to see this transition where like Kenzie's like, okay, maybe like this is something we can measure. Maybe this is something that we can, we, at least it, it's portrayed he, that way. I mean, he's like, you can't measure it. It's, you just experience it. But he acknowledges right. that there's an internal process of love. And right. nowadays we use like all sorts of measures to look at love. <laughs> right. And, and that might be a good example too of, of we're not only seeing this, this kind of shift in the cultural zeitgeist between kind of the Freudian, Victorian, Protestant uh, repression aspect to maybe a more open aspect that we start to see in the 50s and 60s. But we also start to see that shift in psychology that you go from the biological functions with, with a lot of the early psychologists or physiologists to kind of the behaviorists in the you know, 30s and 40s to the cognitive revolution in the 50s and 60s. There's this, this kind of natural progression in psychology, in this research, in the portrayal of some of these concepts in the movie, which... Mm-hmm. I don't think it was intended necessarily, but it really fits well. Yes, yes, no, you could definitely like, it kind of, kind of like what we were talking about, like how Dangerous Method provides that cultural meat to a lecture on the history of psychoanalysis. Like Kinsey provides that cultural meat when it comes to the transition from like behaviorism to cognition, from, you know, the Victorian to the postmodern. no, it's very, I really, like, I appreciated that, and they've got it spot on, like, the portrayal, I felt, like, the, the, that thematic was very excellent, this movie. Very excellent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't really have any other, like, bigger things that I wanted to talk about. I, I do love, some of the interviews were really great. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had to stop in my tracks with, uh, with, with one of the, the questioners, the, the older woman, when asked, you know, how often or when did she first uh, engage in self-pleasuring, said, I invented it, son. <laughs> I, it was very um, vulgar, but, well, of course it's vulgar, it's a sex film. Um, but the uh, gentleman who said that uh, his first experience was with uh, whores? Yes. And, and the guy's like, oh, when did you start having sex with horses? And he's like, oh, I did have sex with a pony. How did you know? <laughs> and he's like, oh. And then he, you know, I mean, corrects Corrected. himself the other thing. Yes. But yeah. Um, now, there was a lot of zoophilic zoof- references in this film that kind of, like, I did not remember that uh, were very present. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's to try to kind of again tap into sort of that, you know, again when when people thought of deviant behavior, they're pro- you know they're thinking of these like or they're associating a lot of the stuff that that I mean you know e- even amongst very I'm not gonna say the most conservative of households, but even amongst fairly conservative individuals, they would say, well, this is normal, like this is normal, like this is mm-hmm. not deviant behavior i mean maybe maybe i don't agree with it but it's not deviant behavior but that that they were you know maybe trying to kind of juxtapose that there's a lot of conversations that were about really deviant stuff and they were kind of thrown into very similar conversation with stuff that really 
isn't wasn't and, right and and trying to kind of bridge that of like again that cultural you know the kind of cultural sense of what was going on at the times is that a lot of that was conf- i mean a lot of that to some extent is still conflated amongst a lot of people of, mm-hmm. of kind of not you know you know, that that slippery slope that you know one thing's going to lead to the other and then you're going to have the you know people are going to be able to go and marry their dogs and stuff like that and like mm-hmm. no like we're not we're not talking about that um i mean even in, in kenzie's approach where he's like fighting for like decriminalizing uh sex offenders you know that they take it as like an aspect of assault or you know they spin his words and you know can come off that way but what he's talking about are in you know extreme laws for innocuous behavior right that's yeah no because if we think about like um alan turing yes at this time alan turing is currently being like chemically castrated yeah like Which... while kinsey is doing his research and so very like the people who were in jail for you know sexual deviancy right. were not our assaulters and our i mean they were there of course but you know like people who got caught masturbating or people who got caught with the same sex partner or people with concerned family members for their, you know, alternate sexual positions yeah. were put into psych wards. And so, yeah. and this is also rampant um, euthanasia, not euthanasia, um, eugenics in the United States. Like that hasn't slowed down at all at this point. And so these the people were not only going to jail, but they were also, you know, being castrated at the same time so and i love the point he made with the reporters that like you know the only difference between the people on the outside of the jail and the people on the inside of the jail is the amount of money they have to get out of jail yeah the ones in jail can afford or can't afford lawyers yeah like you know rich people are doing all this stuff rich people are probably doing worse but the poor people who get caught with their same-sex partner are going to go to jail so I, yeah. I really appreciate I didn't remember that because it's been a hot minute since I've seen this movie when that came up I was like oh yeah no power to the people so yeah I mean so besides some of the issues with his I mean really it, it's it's mostly a data collection issue. It's probably the biggest issue my understanding mm-hmm. is that some of his data some of his his percentages and likelihoods were likely overestimated yes Um, And then there's the standard problem with sex research that we experience to this day. And this is actually what Maslow hit him on was that it was voluntary sampling. Um, Yeah. And this is the problem that Zimbardo had as well, that you get a particular psychological makeup from people when they know what kind of study they're getting into. Um, So, you know, you're not going to get the conservative, perspective within this kind of data collection because they're going to read sex survey and they're going to nope out of there and so yeah when it comes to sex surveys like not only does kinsey inflate the numbers that are already there but the numbers themselves are already inflated because of the nature of the people who would have already agreed to take part in the survey which i'm sure that distinction between the more extreme to sexual openness yeah, and the not sexually open back in the '40s and '50s is probably a bigger gulf than it is today, and it's still yeah. a problem today. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, a lot of this stuff that if you're going to do research on it, you have to kind of have to sandwich it within some other stuff. Which I, I do think that that a lot of the stuff that that they portray him coming up with, so they they focus on like this idea of 
putting people at ease and, and kind of starting oh. with some innocuous questions. Really good advice. I thought the survey design, survey like work, like the whole method of dealing with participants and designing the survey, brilliant. Yeah. Like, it, like I would not show this to a research methods class. Yeah. <laughs> but like at least that first opening section of like the framing with the survey and like yeah. him, you the, know, the guiding his research assistants, like don't ask double questions because then the participant's going to ignore one of them. Yeah. Don't have like loaded questions or leading questions. Don't use euphemisms. Speak to people where they're at. Watch your verbal, nonverbal judgment. Like, it was brilliant. Like ah, research design down. 101. It was yeah. really good. Part of I think like we can get into some of the arguments. I think it would be the same thing if we're talking about some of the ethics in the Zimbardo study or the Milgram study. That there's this line of how much did they know? I mean, because you know, in some cases, you don't know what you're getting into until you start researching it. And especially if you're, you're someone like Kenzie or you're someone like Milgram or Zimbardo and you're kind of doing the, the forefront of some of this research, there's no telling. I mean, you, you might not expect to find what you're going to find and you, and you might have to come up with some stuff on the fly or you might have to engage in some odd decisions when it comes to determining how you're going to observe and collect your data. And and so you know we can we can give Kenzie some credit for that, but mm -hmm. some some of the other stuff it makes it a little especially because we we have this this other constant theme in what we've been talking about, and that other constant theme is be a skewing of some of the results, mm -hmm. fudging of a little data. We see that with Milgram. We saw that with Zimbardo. Um, we see with Freud. Yeah, of of not bringing up some stuff because it might not be as socially popular in this case i think it was the reverse it was maybe building some stuff up to because you wanted to combat what was sort of more socially acceptable or normatively acceptable and you wanted to sort of change some of those and, and you know again like the you, you could argue that that throughout all of these like maybe the the reasons and the rationale like we're in the good place you know, in a good place you know milgram's mm -hmm. trying to understand the nature of obedience to you know do horrible things basically to explain nazis in world war ii you know zimbardo is arguably doing this to, to kind of bring down aspects of the prison system that that are mm -hmm. obviously there are problems with and then you have kenzie who obviously sees this misinformation and wants to to bring a change to it the problem being is that with the, the fudging of the data and with the issues with their studies that could have been fixed or could have been reported accurately had they chosen to do it, it hurts their ultimate finding. Mm -hmm. yep. it, it means that this stuff just keeps getting debated on for another 50 years before we have some better knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and we may need to talk about this a little bit further in our summer session when we do, uh, you know, controversies in psychology. Yes. But I think we have a different iteration of that in the present day with our publish or perish only publish significant yeah. results situation. Where you've got a lot of people living in right are... now. You know, it's not so much 
the bias is different now, but the behavior may be very similar. Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, we do see some fudging of results and stuff like that on occasion, but not not to the degree and not typically to people of fame. Uh, but what, what what you're seeing more today is is that people may be publishing stuff that isn't really that significant. Mm-hmm. It's 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 overemphasizing it in the discussion, and not yep. in in the results where maybe it should be. You know, maybe not as maybe not bringing up so many limitations or, or some other issues mm-hmm. or you know things like or, that. Or, you know, our replication issue right now where you have a bunch of significant results of effects that we think are a thing, but because we've only had a couple studies on it because nobody publishes replications yep. or null findings, we don't know. There's, there's no way to know how they're going to hold up in 50 years. Mm-hmm. So, Five years. No, I think that might be a dynamic we need to explore over the summer yeah. um but no kinsey definitely like love the method not a fan of the results <laughs> yeah so uh, i guess we'll get to rate the movie rate the history yeah um i'm gonna give it a 9.5 out of 10 as a movie i will use any excuse to watch liam neeson kiss boys <laughs> other men i'm sorry because that was, you know. Yes, men. Not boys. He doesn't kiss boys. He kisses They're men. Over the age of 18. Over the age of 18. So, um, uh, yeah. But overall, like, I, I appreciated the aesthetic. I appreciated the characters. The story was cohesive. Like, it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Got emotional. Yes, I, I definitely, especially at the end. The the two scenes that I think hit me the hardest were, were him being really upset um, you know, after kind of losing everything, kind of wanting to finish his life's work, and then that conversation with, with the woman at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, gonna choke up a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say I laughed out loud at the uh, breakfast table scene with uh, when uh, Mag is with the uh, Clyde. Clyde. Yeah, Clyde. And uh, he's like, oh, I've been missing women. And like, he proposes to have sex with her in front of Kinsey. And she's just like, hmm, I think I would like that very much. What do you think? <laughs> that was, I just, I died. I died. It was brilliant. It was, it was like an kind excellent of a, scene. a test of his comments from earlier in the movie. You mm-hmm. know, if he truly stands by those comments, he kind of has to be okay with it. And he, he passed with flying colors. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I would kind of put it, it, you know, if it didn't have the humor and it didn't have those emotional moments, I would probably put it even with a dangerous method, but yeah, it has a little more. It yes. has, it has some humor. The characters I think are far more relatable, um, far more likable again, despite some of the ethical issues going on and i think again that 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 does create this juxtaposition of like hey this character is kind of a decent person they're in it for the right reasons they're also doing this other stuff Mm -hmm. uh, okay um this isn't the movie to comment on that (laughs) right and 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 it, it was pretty much universal amongst sort of the the characters as opposed to like dangerous method where you know i went into it with kind of, you know, the the non, you know, the anti-Freud, you know, the modern psychologist anti-Freud bias and leaving it really liking Freud mm-hmm. and not liking Jung. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I, I, I'd say I'd give it a nine if I'm kind of basing it off of the other movies and whatnot. So yeah, nine, nine point five. Yeah, nine point five seems. Yeah, no, I mean, we gave uh, what? Uh, we gave high anxiety a ten. Yeah. I feel like I would pick to watch High Anxiety again over this one because this one was a little yeah. emotional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but again, they're very different movies. So very different movies. You know, High Anxiety is a comedy, ten out of ten. If we're talking about just drama, like yeah, this is a good nine, nine, nine and a half. This is this is pretty yeah. high up there. It's it was it was good. Um it was good. definitely not for everyone. No. But then again, Ken's what did you think about it in terms of uh, a psychological historical movie? I thought it was good. Uh, I thought, and like like you said, I, I think at one point, um, you know, kind of our pre-tape conversation, that there were a lot of points in this movie where, like, they didn't do that. They didn't set up a video system in the attic. And you're like, oh, they did. They actually did do that. That was real. Okay. And so it, it did seem that that there was a lot because I mean, this movie seems seemed to have been pretty um, pretty in touch with the Kinsey Institute. And that there's a lot of information about this time and these events and, and what happened and kind of everything leading up to his research. And so I think it made it a lot easier for them to do something a lot more accurately um, mm-hmm. than we, we would maybe expect to see with, um, you know, like a Freud Jung movie because there's World War II is wiping out some data. There's some other, you know, other stuff going on. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're mainly just focusing on journals uh, from mm-hmm. the relevant parties. But in this case, you have a lot of, a lot of people were working at the Institute. A lot of people were documenting kind of everything that was going on and because they were doing so much research. Like there's receipts for everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there's definitely. You don't just use information from a Rockefeller funded research. Right. Project. Yeah. And, and doing a research grant like that, I mean, that there's so much meticulous kind of meticulous so many meticulous things to account for when you're doing Mm -hmm. a research grant that you have to keep tabs on everything and everything that you've done to justify it and to keep your funding if if you're going to get that so yeah i think as a historical movie it's it's probably i mean i'm sure there's some stuff that was maybe glossed over a little bit um i mean you there's only so much you could do in a two-hour movie um I would I would probably give it about the same as we give it for the movie. Nine, nine point five. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Like that was that was my concern going into it. Like I wanted to make sure that the filming in the attic was real. I wanted to make sure that the you know, the deviant that he interviewed with the ledger was real. Yeah. And I just came back with all like, yep, that happened, that happened, that happened. So I was like, okay. Corroborated great. again and again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and, and unlike, I think this would be well positioned, like within like a human sexuality class, as you move from the history of the field to the ethics of the field. Yes, yeah. So like, end really... your history lectures with this movie, begin your ethics lectures the following week. Yeah, and, and a good a good in between, you know, into to kind of furthering discussions on like what kind of research was done, what kind of research is done now. Mm-hmm. Um. It would also probably be good on a reading list for a history of psych class. Yeah, I mean, very much so. If if you want to, you know, on a watch list or on something like that, to where you're you're saying, all right, here's here's a list of movies to look at. You know, what dangerous method might end up on that list too. And and I think where this movie really triumphs over that is that one of the things that we we talked about is is that with with the dangerous method, there's that sensationalism amongst the relationships. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they're almost played straight. 
it's just yeah. it's just kind of a it's there's this stuff going on in the background all this other stuff going on and it's just what happened it's not it's not really shown as glamorous or as exciting it's shown as real mm-hmm. um, and in some cases shown as very not glamorous <laughs> it's, yes it's, it's it's a very yeah it's 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 you know again it's it's very real it's very kind of gritty it's 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 sort of grounded in a certain level of i guess humanity mm-hmm. um which which yeah i think definitely gives this extra kind of realism points be because of that yes um i will say before we close out that uh for anyone interested the kinsey institute does still exist it is still at indiana university in unit indiana university at bloomington um they have a great website lots of faqs on sexual information they have a huge library and an archive um that kinsey directly contributed to as well as successive uh sex researchers this is like the hub in america for sex research um so if we want to link that in this you know, podcast. I think that would be great. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, it's, it's, especially it's, for you know psychologists who want to go into sex research, this is a great resource. Um, they offer funding. They do postdocs there. Like, excellent, excellent institution. Yeah. So we'll we'll link to the Kinsey Institute. Nine point five on the movie scale. Nine nine point five on the history scale. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Weird. Pretty pretty, pretty good all around. Um, yeah at some point we're gonna have to do terrible movies but i know i know i just wanted to watch really good movies for our break because it's it's, you know 20 we're gonna try to enjoy ourselves yep yeah we can dig into the gross in our next at the cinema series (laughs) so yeah so yeah until then um we'll, we'll figure out what we're gonna watch next week and uh yeah goodbye bye